Hello and welcome to The Last Standy, a board game podcast coming to you from four exciting countries across Europe. I'm joined here today by Alexis. From Belgium, bonjour. Alessio. From a desk not occupied by the sand, I. Audrey. Hello everyone from France. And I'm your host, Fen. Uh, today we're going to be talking about, uh, I think, more games than we normally talk about, but uh, in maybe a bit less detail with uh, Deep Space D6, <laughs> um, possibly a bit of five parsecs from home, Takenoku, and then a look at role player versus Call to Adventure. But before we get into any of that, we'll start with the standee catch up. What have you been up to, Alexis? Uh, thank you for asking. I've been. Uh recently working on uh, another podcast uh, that's um, where me and a couple of friends are reading uh, a book series that we read when we were kids and that now reading them as adults they hit uh, very differently it's those are books called uh, it's a book it's a book series called Sherub, uh, and it's about uh, 12 years old being hired by the well uh, forcibly recruited by the british government and forced to basically uh, do the bidding of the state. Uh, but it's all treated as a uh, YA novel, and it's, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't really treat the, the complete lack of ethic of the thing, but it tries to be uh, serious and gritty at the same time, which makes it very uncomfortable and weird sometimes. So... So you are mocking your childhood books? I I am mocking my childhood books with a couple <laughs> of friends, and it's mostly just uh, us hanging out. But it's been uh, it's been pretty fun so far, and uh, I've been really happy with the the last episode okay. that we've done. So I would okay, recommend everyone not... to look up um, the Sherub Ethic Committee on Spotify or wherever you listen. Mm. If it's not in French, I listen to it. Oh, it is in English. Yeah, oh, great. you'd think so, given that uh, Robert Muchimore is English and it's a British yes. set series. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's also done, uh, was it Henderson's Boys and Rock War? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he has. Yeah, so well, that's an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah, I can see I can see how that stuff might feel quite different when, as an adult, when you look back on it, you're like, hang on a minute. Yeah, Th- this is kind of child <laughs> abuse <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like looking back on, on, say, Redwall and you go, ooh, wait a minute, what's going on here? No, it's still just a bunch of cute little animals horribly slaughtering everyone, each other, and Basil Staghair, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and what about you, Audrey? Uh, first off, I will start to say that Fen is the introduct today with a name that doesn't start with an A. Yeah, that often happens. Yeah. Yes, but even truer today. Yep, yeah, if you like, I could just be the object. So for this episode, I could be a fen. Hello, I'm a fen. <laughs> One of that, many fens like... you find in the UK, like the fens, which is a place where people go and get lost and die. Um, <laughs> but there you go. The yeah. a fen is like the dash. Everything is working properly now. Uh, so, yeah, what about uh, me? Uh, these last weeks, I've been mostly uh, doing work on Marvel Crisis Protocol. Um, I've played the tutorial with a friend, and uh, we are starting to think about rosters, which uh, I have no idea how to do that. I have a few ideas where to start, but I don't know where to go there. Like, you have to put 10 um, characters in your roster, or 9 characters plus an infinity gem, and I have like 3 or 4 characters that I know I want to have, and I don't know how to complete that, but uh, at some point it will come. 
And uh, when I'm a bit more experienced with it, we will probably make it a topic. And uh, the other thing is that I'm painting these models as well. I'm wa well ahead with Captain Marvel and Iron Man is going to follow very soon. For the really more board games part, not really much lately. Uh, with my boyfriend, we still plan to try the Vampire Heritage game as it is not only a campaign game, but also you have a one-shot uh, setup. So we want to try the one-shot setup at some point. And I think that's it for me. Uh, yes. Alessio, what about you? Oh, thanks for asking. For asking. Well, uh, I have been doing mainly two things. One, I played a lot of the Saint uh, uh, Legends of the Dark uh, these days. I've uh, I I've played uh, right now Scenario Five. I have to do. Uh, uh, I have to do the town section. I have to say it's a bit. Yes, uh, everything they say is true, even in solo playing. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll probably talk about it uh, when when we will be more when uh, more of us will have played it. So uh, I'll just keep uh, the judgments for later. And uh, another important thing: uh, last week I checked the any awards winners which are kind of the Oscars for board gaming, I'm told, for role-playing games, actually. And uh, I got in love with Alice is Missing, which is a very, very cool uh, uh, RPG which plays over text message. It's cool, cool, cool. I, I really want to play it. I ordered the Italian version. It should be due in November. It looks like a lot of fun. So, what about you, Ethan? Hey, well, um, <laughs> I can't talk at all about it, but I've been playing some Sankakushin. Um, Ooh. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but I can talk about the other game I've played a fair bit, which is Vagrant Song, which is, um, if it isn't on your to-buy list and you like boss battlers, it probably should be. Um it's from Weird Games. Uh, they sent me a review copy. Nothing else, just you know, a free review copy. I'm gonna. By the time this comes out, I'll have a written review out with lots of detail. It's a two to four player. But you can play it solo. Uh, boss battling game set on a train where you uh, fight against well, fighting quotes. Uh, fight against ghosts. Hates the Southern American name for ghosts and try and restore their humanity. So they put a lot of spins on it. It's a about 30-hour campaign game. Uh, it's got a unique take on how the AI works that you can manipulate and control. It's like if you played the Call of Cthulhu card game. Um, the the dag, dice bag, it uses that. It uses tokens in a bindle, like a nice little checkered bindle. Um, and you draw those out for the AI of the, the haint. But also, you can rummage around in there and get items to use, or sometimes even pull out events that occur during the fight. So they're really taking advantage of the way that a bag works like an adaptable dice, or a card deck where stuff's been taken in and out all the time. And it's very clever, and it's well written, and it's fun, and the characters are all super interesting, and you've got a lot of decisions. So it's pretty weighty without being overburdened on the, on the rules. 
I would. I'm having trouble because there's th- three games that contend for game of the year for me, um, and that's Descent, which Alessio just spoke about, uh, Sleeping Gods, and then this. I, I don't know which one I would put as the best game I've played this year, new to me, but one of those three. So Sleeping God, which is going to come on crowdfunding in French in a few days, I think. It will be on, I think, when this episode comes live. I, I want to say that... Uh... This uh, Vagrant Song, it's like someone decided to make uh, 30-hour campaigns over the, over the Ghost Train section uh, in Final Fantasy VI. <laughs> Which is, uh, wait, wasn't it already 30 hours long? <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I, I've, I've never played the Final Fantasies. Oh my god. I, I, my brother is super into them, which meant that I wasn't. Close okay. to the same. I tried a few of them, but never played really long. There's a ghost train in Final Fantasy VI, and you begin to see ghosts everywhere because that part is boring. So hopefully Vagrant Song is a lot better than that. I actually want to try it. I think I'll order it. I think it's... Exiting pre-orders now, right? Yep, it should be out pre-orders or, or delivering off pre-orders uh, now. Mine was technically a pre-order copy, um, and it should be. They go. They're planning to retail and distribute in Europe anyway. This is weird, you know. So weird has good distribution chains, so you should see it turning up in retail. Yeah, that, that, that's my hope actually. Since there's not a lot of discount on pre-orders, uh, I'll just wait for the retail when it ships. Uh, Anyway, I did that. Uh, my uh, my my list for uh, game games of the year is uh, includes uh, both Descent and Sleeping Gods, but I'd also add Oath Chronicles of Empire and Exile, which I know you are opinionated <laughs> about. But we'll talk about it. Possibly we'll make an episode about it. It's it's very difficult for me to be opinionated about something when I'm actually like really flat and mad on it, and that's my problem with yeah. it. Is, <laughs> Is it, it, it? I feel like it could be an amazing game with a, an expansion. Uh, it's the same problem amazing I had with opinion. Root. I don't think Core Root is very good. I think when you add the Otters into the mix instead of one of the other factions or even two of them, it gets better. That's just because you really like Otters. I like Otters, uh, but my favorite faction is the Corvids and then the Moles. <laughs> but I'll admit the Moles are a little bit too powerful. Actually, if you can get rid of cats and uh, wood alliance, uh, every match gets a bit better. No! Although they are... No one should get rid of cats, root on yeah. the root. <laughs> Never get rid yeah. of cats. No! Po- poor cat player. And the cats have it so hard in that game. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm actually all about cats. Uh, that, that's not the. That's not my point. The cats, universal health care for all. That's what the cats are about. <laughs> okay, I I give up. <laughs> yeah, I that, that I actually think that you know the cats are not problematic in design, but they could have done with being stronger. Maybe the new root expansion is looking at touching on that. Yeah, which it is apparently. Um, but I'm I, I've stopped looking at what's going on with the root Kickstarter, and I'm waiting for it to just arrive. Just like. Hurry up and send me my, uh, my my plushy, cuddly cat and my board game. I think it's the Underworld that just uh, uh, came out in stores in French. Uh, yeah, that, that has we the We are Corvids. catching up! Yeah, <laughs> you are, yeah. That has the Corvids, which are like my favourite faction by a mile. 
Um, I, I love crows. We've got tons of crows around here. We do everything I can to keep them visiting. We've got Bessie the big crow. Um, doesn't get on well with Pam. They they really antagonise each other. So yeah, that's um, that's my favourite expansion. Well, Corvids play a lot of fun. Yeah, they are subtle. Yeah, they're not good either, but they are fun. Um, they can win. When I say not good, I just mean they're not straightforward. Um, but ultimately, I think the otters do the most to improve the game because they do everything the vagabond's supposed to do, but actually do it because they're rewarded for interacting with other players. Whereas the vagabond, I'm not going to interact with you. No, no, I do better if I don't. I'm just going to ignore you all and do my own thing until I knock your stuff down. You know, I, I still think that the alliance is worse. Oh, oh the, the, because... their opi- the alliance is frustrating as heck, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the alliance doesn't care about what you do. They can win alone. It's not important player count. It's not important anything. You you can always win with alliance one way or another. Yeah. I found it when the alliance, Woodland Alliance is involved, if the game doesn't... Like, if people don't rush to try and finish the game as soon as possible, it's, they just have inevitability on their side. Um, well, we're not here to talk about Root again, though. Uh, we're here to talk about a bunch <laughs> of other games. So we're going to go far, far away from the little woodland where these uh, cute little animals slaughter each other, off into the uh, outreaches of the outer limits of the void. So Alexis is going to talk to us all about Deep Space D6. Yeah, and I cannot wait for the spacefaring ex- uh, expansion of Woot. Hey, hey, you just pronounced that Woot. I love that. Woot. <laughs> Woot! Um... So today I'm going to talk about Deep, Deep Space D6. Uh, it's a solo dice walker placement game. And the best way to describe it would be to say that it's a lot like the video game FTL. Um, that I'm going to guess that most people at least know about it. I don't. Oh, okay. So you play as a ship with a crew made out of dice. And every turn you're going to draw uh, event cards that sometimes are going to be combat, sometimes are just going to be events that need uh, specific crew members to, to solve, like uh, an uh, infection among the, the, the spaceship, among the, the crew, and you need to assign a few medical uh, crew members to clean it, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you roll your dice and you assign those dice to the area of the ship. So, for example, you're going to assign someone to the shield to block damage, someone to the uh, engineering to repair some of the damage that you took, some uh, to the weapon to deal more damage, that sort of thing. You sometimes have the option to re-roll your dice, but if you roll three alert dice, the turn is over and you need to draw a new enemy card. It's a very fun and pocket-sized game, and uh, it's something that I mentioned quite a few times. But I really like a game that you that is takes just as much place as a as a book. Uh, this one is extremely easy to transport. Uh, I can hold it in one hand. It's very nice. It only has six dice. Uh, I think a couple of hundred tiny-sized cards, uh, and the, the ship board. Uh, the game comes with four different ships, and every ship has different mechanic to the game. So one of the ship is very, very straightforward. One of the, them is more weapon oriented. So you have to manage your shield uh, a bit differently. Another one has drones uh, instead of um, normal crew members. So you send your dice 
up to the enemies rather than than putting them on your bolt. It's kind of different, and it allow it gives the game some replayability, which I think is pretty fun. The game first was a Kickstarter uh, a few years ago, and they've published uh, two expansions since then. One of them just had a lot of enemy t- types and uh, an end bust that consists of a few cards coming together to form a big ship that then you have to fight but it also gives you some tech cards to upgrade your ship. So uh, kind of little upgrades that uh, will boost your damage or your resilience or change the way that your one of your station works. It's pretty fun. Uh, and the second expansion, I've only tried it once, but they uh, just completed um, a Kickstarter on it. It, it. They just completed it. It doesn't matter though, because it's a free PDF that they plan to turn into a uh, fully grown book that's uh, properly printed with new die and a few different missions. But right now you can just grab the, f- the free PDF and um, if you have the, the base game, you can play it. And it's sort of a um, choose your own adventure text uh, X scroll that use the, rule, uh, the rules of the game. So it's a more uh, role-playing adventure version of this base uh, solo game. And uh, it's it's just a tiny game, but I like it a lot. I think it has a lot of um, a lot of charm. And as far as solo game go, uh, this for now is my uh, usually my to go um, solo game when I when I just need to to spend the time or uh, I'm traveling and I I know that I'll have a idle hand at some point and I'm not sure I'll have a Wi-Fi and. Nah, I, I just want to play a game. I, I'll just grab that and uh, know that I can have fun with it. It's just good to unplug from the internet and do something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, th- this is Deep Space D6 Armada, yes? Um, is that correct? Uh, it is the Deep Space D6. I'm not sure what Armada is. Armada is a 2021 one to four player cooperative that can also be played solo, so that might be what you're talking about. Oh, I didn't know that they they came out with yeah. a, a different then, version. Huh. The the original uh, Deep Space D6 was actually a print and play. I I kind of uh, I kind of lurked in the contest uh, in BGG. The, the, by the time uh, it went, uh, it it was uh, suggested. I think it was like 2014. Yeah, it's been um, it's been sometimes. Oh yeah, this uh, Armada. No, Armada is coming uh, next uh, next year actually. Yeah, they, they basically since Deep Space D6 uh, was a lot beloved, well received. They first made uh, a paid version of the print and play with a lot of fixes and stuff. I think that you can get the print and play and download it from the file Ooh. section of BGG. I think it's version zero point six. Well, Something. I will have to look into your matter and maybe talk about it when it comes out because that looks amazing. Yeah, p- please do. Look, yeah. the graphical like upgrades and steps and everything's fantastic. Oh, I would yeah. just like to briefly say, and I, I disappointed you didn't mention, the designer of this is a New York-based designer and his name is Tony Go, and it's such a great name. It's a great name. That it's is a true. great name. It's a really great name. This is his first big success. He's done like a few board games before, but they've never really caught on with people. But this one, this one has. Yeah, and it's uh, people really like it. And I think that as far as solo game, this is this is just really nice. Yeah, this game is so cool that it was basically printed out of its own merits because it was a free print and play originally. 
It's yeah. always nice when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, uh, any, uh, go on. No, no, I just wanted to say a fun fact. Uh, uh, since you... Uh, you, you told about uh, FTL. I wasn't thinking about FTL. Now my mind is blown because it's actually pretty much like it. <laughs> Crew and stuff. If there are Zoltans, uh, th that's my game. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I certainly saw FTL when I was when you said, talked about the different ship shapes and I looked and I was like, this reminds me of an FTL deck plan and that is really cool because FTL done right as a board game. Mm. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. And FTL is you know, um, gets a lot of its ID from worker placement stuff. Uh, you, you can feel that it, it has um, some board game lineage, and it's fun to see that uh, used, used into a board game now. As we are fun back, fact. speaking of FTL, what does FTL mean? Uh, Fast, faster than light. Faster than light. Yep. Yeah. And I think I've heard about this one, but just heard. So the explanation yeah. was still... Uh, good. Yeah, it's a, a space co travel resistance against an evil empire ragtag crew of rocks and whatever else the other crew members are. I can't remember humans. Mantis. Oh, the mantis. Pirates. Yes, the, the terrifying mantis, which is like, oh, please don't, don't let a ship full of mantis people board me. Oh no. Yeah, uh, and I think it, FTL had a something recently that brought it back into people's like attention, but I forget what. There was maybe the expansion. Don't forget Zoltans. They are batteries. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity as well to talk about another solo um, space adventure role, uh, space adventure solo game. This one's a bit more involved. Um, it's called Five Parsecs from Home. It's on its third edition. And um, it's from Modifius. Entertainment. I think they might be the guys who do. Um, what's it called? Uh, Mutant Year Zero, maybe? Or may I'm not sure on that one. Our expert isn't here to uh, clarify that or not. But anyway, it's like a small A5 book of um, uh, just just, over, just under 200 pages, and it is a build as a solo adventure wargaming game. It's it's a framework where you build a small crew of like six people and you go on a bunch of randomly generated missions and you fight tabletop miniature combat against AI. Like relatively simple AI, but you will land and combat against uh, maybe some cultists or something like that. And it's all all working through this book. It's like it's it's very comprehensive. The, the it's got a whole universe in there. There's this um th this overarching governmental thing called unity that's like oh it's like the federation with all of the races together underneath it but then there's some people who are very skeptical about it some people are just straight up against it um and uh it's oof. you can play you can obviously play humans but um there's a there's just a wide variety of other um creatures and things you can have bots which are quite good but they don't get any stronger they don't gain xp um, you can have, uh, if you really want your um, fur people, you can have the feral, who are wolf-cat-human-ish hybrids. Or there's like the Borg, basically. They're called the Solus. Um, it's, I, I've, I've only had like basically a chance to play this a little bit, but I, I really like the concept. It just goes, hey, do you have some miniatures and terrain? 
um, already because you're a war gamer from whatever, just grab all of that stuff. And here you go. You've got this book. You've got all of that stuff. This is a new way to use it. So if you're like a 40k player, you've got a whole load of models you could just use to represent all of these different things. Or Infinity, like same again. Um, it has its aesthetic for definite, um, but it's very light and it's very much kind of put your own stuff in there. You take your crew of four, five or six uh adventurers you go on a bunch of different like procedurally generated missions um and and wander around the galaxy collecting loot and and fighting and exploring and, and being betrayed and everything it's like a massive amount of stuff in there like and, it's like a role-playing game for one person with miniatures combat and it uses parsec as a unit of space it will <laughs> of course remarkable <laughs> remarkable it says five parsecs from home which you know yeah, I, I'll be there in five parts, or, or something like that. Mm. It has it has already happened. I, I watched the solo movie. It gives an explanation of why Parsec has been used like kind of time, and uh, I don't like the explanation, so I, I don't want to talk about that. Oh, oh, well, yeah, but in this is, is this is Parsec, you know. Hopefully, been using yeah, proper terminology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's, here's the blurb, though. They said it's going to be an easy job. Get in, grab the go goods, and get back out. Yeah, right, those Black Dragon Mercs up ahead. Time to earn your pay. Just another day out among the stars. And, yeah, I, I think it's wonderful. Um, although I really... I need more time to play with it, and I've got a very limited amount of miniatures and terrain, most of which is just Necromunda, so it's been a lot of standing around in uh, Necromunda terrain. Um, I don't have cool spaceships to put park on a table and battle around and things but yeah for our our wargaming fellows and ladies maybe you want to have a look at this i like it i'm not a wargaming person i'm a skirmish person more than wargaming it, but it's skir skirmishing yeah procedurally generated skirmishing it has actually kind of a big following there's uh, a subreddit called uh, r5 parsex <laughs> that's cool there's a lot of people uh, creating stuff for this game yeah yeah i mean it, it's quite a deep little rabbit hole if you want to go down it because it's so designed to be replayable and they've even done some expansions for it with a bunch of other things um I've just dabbled into it. There's also five leagues from Borderlands, which is the fantasy version of this. Um, Whoa. Yeah, super cool. Like, get, build your own little fantasy adventuring group and, um, like, a light RPG adventure war game. Just get out there. For and without like, parsecs. Yeah, with, oh, we're, yeah, leagues instead, yeah. <laughs> no parsecs. Uh, yeah, um, so that's the other option if you have a better fantasy collection, which I do. Um, I'm, I've been eyeing this one as well because I just I think it's really cool the way that they've repurposed other miniatures and give you this just hey go have fun and it almost feels like being a little kid playing with your toys again. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's uh, always a smart idea to have one or two of these games with which recycle miniatures because you can basically play with whatever you have around. They, they may, may not be the, the most played or the thing that sees the table the most, but they are cool and they work a lot. I think that Gaslands can be used with miniature cards from ranges. Yes. Yeah, that, 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 that's cool. That's a very smart idea. I 100% back it. 
Yep. Yep. And I just checked. Uh, the Modifius are indeed the people who do Mutant Year Zero, and they do Siege of the Citadel, which I have. I backed in 2016 that Kickstarter, and it finally arrived earlier this year. And it's a thoroughly okay, decent, um, like Hero Quest style uh, game. You know, Descent style, uh, but with very small squads. So. I haven't had a chance to proper, properly ever talk about it. Um, it's because it's also, it's got a role-playing game basically handed to you, which I wasn't expecting to get. Well, uh, then it's time for now to go to something that I think really is original. We're going to go um, back in time and we're going to go across Earth uh, to a lovely little place where... Uh, uh, the Emperor of China has uh, offered the Emperor of ja Japan a giant panda, um, and the Emperor of Japan was not quite prepared for how uh, much hassle this panda is going to cause the gardener. So, Audrey, would you like to talk to us about the wonderful and cute Takenoko? Yes, Takenoko, a game from Antoine Boza, which is now considered a classic designer. And Takenoko is now considered a classic game, so it's the classic moment. Uh, Takenoko is a game for two to four players, which will fit kids, not very young kids, but kids. Uh, it's a game where you will have to complete different kind of objectives by collecting uh, bamboo pieces of different colors. There are three colors, green, yellow and pink or objectives of putting tiles in a certain position, depending on their colors, which are the same as the bamboo, or uh, putting a bamboo of a certain size on a tile with a certain, um, I don't know how these are called in English, uh, in French it's aménagement, uh, when you add a token which says this tile has water or things like that. I don't know how they are called in English. And so you will make uh, these objectives, which are each worth a certain amount of points. Irrigated, I think. Yes, but irrigated is one type of management, which is um, work. Um, it, yeah, they just call them improvements. Imp improv Ter improvement. Terraforming. Thank you, improvement. And the, the, the way the game plays is very simple. Each player takes a turn alternatively, and the a turn of a player is composed of just two phases. The first one is to determine climatic conditions, which doesn't enter into play right away because you have to play just a bit without, where you roll a dice. That uh, dice has uh, six sizes, which each decode with a symbol. You can have the sun, the rain, the wind, the storm, clouds, or pick which one you want. And they we all change uh, just a little bit something that happens right now. Uh, the player can have a, an extra action if it's the sun, or you can uh, make a bamboo grows if it's the rain, etc., etc. Or, 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 or the, the panda is terrified and runs away when there's thunder and it's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then the second phase of a player turn will be make actions, which are two actions, and you have five different actions to do, which is take a tile among three, and you pick one, put an irrigation canal, where you take like these uh, little blue bars and put them uh, on the board, or keep it for later, move the gardener in a straight line wherever you want, and the gardener arrives on the tile 
when the gardener arrives on the tile, the bamboo grows of one section if it's irrigated and on all the irrigated tiles adjacent. The fourth action is moving the panda in a straight line in which... Takenoko. Hmm? Takenoko. Ah, it's not written Takenoko on my uh, rulebook, but it's a recent version. They edited it slightly, so maybe that's why. And so you move uh, the I panda in a straight line, and it eats one section of bamboo uh, on the tile where it ends the movement. And the final uh, action possible is to pick an objective card, which will give you more ways to score points. So it's very simple, and any time a player fills an objective, you can say, oh, I'm scoring that objective, and you put it uh, in front of you, visible by all players, and you just score uh, everything right away. So it's a game that feels very simple right away, but when you take into account all the actions that other players might do, and especially if you are more players, things can be can get a bit hectic because you will want to do that uh, specific tile uh, combination to score an objective, but then another player will put one tile exactly at the place where you wanted to put your tile, and which that's going to mess up all your uh, possibility to score that tile positioning um, objective, or you will want to put the panda somewhere to uh, have it uh, eat some bamboo, and another player will move it. So it's it's not really something where you will feel frustrated because you have many things to do thanks to the five actions, but it can be really uh, chaotic with uh, four players. Yeah, it's uh, it's got some nice like competing ways that all the different point scoring sit together because uh, the gardener objectives want the bamboo to be a certain height, which complements nicely with the layouts where you want the layouts together. But then the panda comes in and just like cuts down the heights of bamboo you're trying to grow. And I, I especially love the bam the idea of the panda like food scoring system because when the panda eats the bamboo it goes onto this little panda silhouette on your board and then when you've got the right amount you pull out the card and you take the bamboo off much like the the emperor of japan's come over and inspected the color of the bamboo's of the, the panda's poop and gone hmm good green pink and yellow excellent right you can have these points i am very pleased with how you fed my panda it's like it just the whole thing makes me chuckle a bit with um with the aesthetic and everything. I had not considered poo into that. Thank you for giving me this image. <laughs> but it's, you, it's multicolored panda poop. It's the cutest it possibly can be. You will see the game with different eyes now. Sadly, yes. Yeah. Well, how how else you inspect when you remove the bamboo tokens from your full panda? That's when the scoring happens. What else is it? I did not try to equate it to something real at all, and that was fine <laughs> like that. <laughs> you, you don't have to, and don't worry about it. Um, I, I also, I love the um, the bamboo height scoring tiles, yeah. uh, especially the four green, which always catches people when I play off. Uh, four green bamboos um, of exactly three sections each on the plots anywhere, and it's actually really hard to do that, so it's worth lots of points. But yeah. And also, it's good stating that the game ends at when a player has fulfilled a certain amount of objectives, and that amount of objectives depend on the number of players. So you don't add too much playtime by adding players. You do add some, of course, but not too much. Yeah, 
yes. Um, nine with two players, eight with three, and seven with four. And the person who completes that last objective first gets a little bonus because the Emperor gives them their respect. It's like two points. Um, I think it's worth mentioning the components on this game. Yeah, that's the thing that, that grabbed my attention when I looked at the game. It looks so good. It, it not only does it look so good, but you open the box and it's got a wonderful bright pink inlay with everything like in its correct spots. Uh, I, I think you have to punch the tiles and put them in, but it all sits snugly in. Uh, so much so that um, I do have to ask Audrey, uh, you have the Chibi's expansion and I don't. I, I do have it and no, I haven't opened it yet. Oh, you can't you can't tell me whether it fits in in any way. I, I imagine it doesn't. Looking at the spacing, I see here. I don't think it would fit uh, inside. I'm just I'm, I'm going to have a look then. It's it's not very far. Sure, you have a look while I just talk about the bamboo because the bamboo. Um, the sticks of bamboo poo. Made of bamboo. No, the the ba they're not bamboo poo at this point. Bamboo poo poo. They um they they're, <laughs> they're still bamboo. It, they're coloured, they've got nice little patterns um, painted on each one of like bamboo leaves and they're made of bamboo uh, and you have a bunch of bottoms with a quite a reasonably wide base to make them fairly stable and then a, a sections that fit on top. So you build up, physically build up pieces of bamboo to represent the bamboo and it's not often games make this step of thematically connecting the materials. Obviously Spirit Island does it in a really great way, but here, um, you know, Takenoku did it with this bamboo pieces first. I mean, obviously you couldn't have the irrigation channels being made of water and the panda is plastic, cute, but plastic. Um, but yeah, I really like that touch. So yeah, uh, the, the tiles of the Chibi expansion uh, are just slightly too, too, there is just slightly too many new tiles to fit into the tiles uh, hole of the standard inlay and yeah, no, that, that wouldn't work. That's Not okay, by but... a lot, I'm pretty sure that someone determined and that doesn't sleeve the cards can make it fit. Okay, uh, but I have one other very important question. How cute is Mrs. Panda? On a scale of what? Uh, let's say on a scale of uh, 1 to 10, um, and you can also go up to 20 if you want to be super cute. Like, no, what's the scale I'm, of 1 to 10? I'm going to say 11. An 11 out of 10. I think that's a fair score. Yeah, yeah oh, she, she's, ve she's very cute, and she's holding your hands like the cute yeah, position. Oh. I've only just seen the advert, the the um the artwork in the advert. I've I've consistently been unable to get Takenoku chibis, um, except uh, and we were talking about this just before we started recording. Uh, I could get it if I'm willing to buy the giant size version of this game. That's right. If you want to play Takenoku with younger people and not have to worry about them eating the parts, you can get a bigger version, um, which is you know like a few hundred euros, including the expansion. Uh, but it's got all everything scaled up. That's um, pretty great. It is pretty great. It's not quite garden size because, and, and I don't think it's waterproof the way that uh, Too Many Bones is. Um, but it's certainly something you could play outside on on the patio um, with with uh, with older kids. Yeah, I I totally agree though. I think Takenoku, it's a lovely, light, easy game to get with that just has a little bit of that, ooh, you, ooh, and that just the, just the right amount of bite to make you make you frustrated, but in a good way. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think our listeners know by now that I handled uh, frustration very badly, and Takenoko is just working for me. Yeah, it would be... Let me translate to euros. It would be uh, about 180 euros for me if I if I purchased the collector's edition. But as I said, I don't have to worry about that because it seems like the, uh, the giant edition Miss Panda chibi's edition is like out of print now and with the future of asmodee being who knows what i mean are we gonna see are we gonna see uh takenoko reprinted in this extravagant scale or not maybe but i have linked uh, a picture which uh, shows uh the inside of the box so it's yeah. not really exactly uh the, the size but it gives an idea yeah, I'm guessing based on the um, separate Takenoku Panda figurine you can get that they're probably about 10 to 13 centimeters tall. Looks like it with that box and those tiles. So... Oh, 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 I found another picture which is even better. It's blurry, sadly, and pixelated, but for size, yep. Because you have the big panda next to the small one. Oh yes, there we go. I was going. I thought you were going to compare to the small human in the background, but yes, I see the. Yes, that is. What do you reckon? Like about five times bigger. Anyway, uh, yeah. So I think I think if you're looking for something light and fun, I think that's where Takenoku's like that sweet spot. It's accessible. Um, my sister had my parents play it. So that means it is accessible then, yes? Yeah, I'm not sure my parents understood exactly everything they were doing, but they played it. Okay, okay, we are recovering from the commercial now. <laughs> no. hey, we're, just, we're just gushing about how cute it is, but aren't all of these just, like, that's what you do when you review. You advertise, but you critically advertise, you know? Do you want do you want the assessment? If you like pandas, or if you want a game that's light with a little bit of crunch and bite, and you want to recreate the, um, I believe, real-world occurrence of this panda being sent from China to Japan and the mayhem that it caused and all the hijinks, Except for the time where it stole a car and went on a joyride, which doesn't happen, you can get Takenoko. Uh, yeah, well, we're going to um, move on from such a cute little game to the last segment, uh, which is, this is, I call it the character building game. There's not many of them. I only own two. If there are more, uh, I would love to hear about them, but um, I'm not aware of them. And these are uh, Role Player from Thunderworks Games and Brotherwise Games with Call to Adventure. A Role to Player, I can sum up very quickly, it is D&D character creation, the game. Uh, yeah, it has also the same stat ranges. Oh, yeah, that's that's exactly what I just said. <laughs> so you're saying that I shouldn't, oh! so I shouldn't show this game for, to my boyfriend because he's been playing the new Pathfinder video game lately and there is a character change mechanic where you can change things in your character. And I think he's been spending more time in that uh, module than in the game. <laughs> Everyone does that. Yeah, if, if you love creating characters uh, or if you're about to start a campaign and you're like, hey, well, let's use roleplay to generate our characters, you, you, you could. So if you don't mind having characters that are a bit like wonkily built and have some issues, which can be a lot of fun. Um, what happens at the start of the game is you grab a character and it's a board with like holes cut out of it where there's room for D6s to fit. And there's a few spaces to put like an alignment card, a class card, a background card. 
Um, they're double-sided, so there's a, a male and a female version on each side, which I like. Um, and in the case of some of the weird races, you just like you pick which one you like the look of because who knows what gender they are? But they're not telling, and that's fine. Um, and uh, what we've got, uh, what you do is um, after you set up, you will draft dice. So they'll be laid out and. Uh, a number of dice are rolled depending on the number of players. These dice come in different colours and they're normal D6s. And uh, the, the worst dice will be over on the left and the best dice will be over on the right, but this also determines your initiative order in the market phase. So if you are going to pick the worst dice, you get to go first on buying, but you'll get the worst stat. Um, and your objectives are to score as many points as possible. You get points from your uh, your background, by achieving um, certain colored dice into certain slots. So you might be looking to have a red dice in the first slot of your three dice that make up your strength. So just like D&D, &D, you, you, you roll three dice ultimately at the end of the game you'll have, and they can have a value between three and 18 for your strength. So the number doesn't matter, but the value does. Then the class cares about the total that you get, and it's looking for certain ranges. So a barbarian might want like nice high strength um, and a wizard will want like high intelligence. Uh, also, you're looking at moving your alignment around. You'll be given an alignment card at the start of the game and it'll have optimal scoring positions for you to get. And you can adjust it by using getting traits that give you either bonuses at the end of the game or like a one-off effect or skills that when you use them, you have to pay the cost of moving your alignment in a certain direction. Every class has its own little wrinkles, bonuses with certain dice, and essentially you just play over uh, a number of rounds until you've filled up all of the slots, and then you score up your character according to the criteria. And that's, that's it in the core game. The really interesting stuff happens when you add in one of the two expansions, Fiends and Familiars or Monsters and Minions, where you will fight a monster at the end of the game, um, it creates a good solo experience, but uh, also it gives the um, gives like everyone working together. You know, you know that you're going to face this monster at the end, and you can fight some monsters along the way. So instead of going to market for a card, you can instead go, "I'm going to fight this monster," and you'll look at uh, a number of things that might give you extra combat dice. You roll, you check the number you rolled against the totals at the bottom, and you get food or X uh, wounds or XP, or you might even get bonus um, stuff. You can also, whenever you defeat these minions, take a little peek at uh, what the three like traits that the final boss has. So, like the kraken might give you bonuses uh, for being very charismatic or having blue dice or something like that. So you've got a little bit to kind of focus you in there. Um, so that I, I definitely recommend with role player, the, the experience by itself with the base game is decent, but when you add in one of the expansions, it's way better. Um, Fiends and Familiars gives you like dual color dice. Uh, so this was like say black and red, but they only go up to a maximum of four. So they're more flexible, but less powerful. Um, yeah, and uh, it's it's kind of wonderful. You you draft in your dice, you get through to the end, and you can even have a little character sheet to copy down your character to use in the future as a player character or an NPC or something. Um, it's quite crunchy. There's a lot to think because you can actually reshuffle your dice around with some abilities. You can um, 
uh, change the numbers on them and also you can get skills that will like heal you which effectively increases the dice by one and so on and so forth it's um it's a lot going on uh you could almost call it a very clever fancy version of yahtzee yeah i i love the idea behind it uh it's like 20 year old me say the uh, came came back with a lot of chapter sheets and uh, basically someone went with uh, and what if we make a game about making chapter sheets oh that's cool <laughs> that's a very nice very nice idea <laughs> smart yeah i i hadn't heard about it but uh i really like the the idea of just a game about creating a character which i find is is very interesting does um I don't know any other board game like that, but there's a few RPGs that have, well, tabletop RPGs that have very in-depth um, character creations that aren't just uh, picking your stats and, and trying to min-max things, but are actually little game on their own. For example, I remember, uh, well, there's obviously... Um, I, I think that you can spend a long time uh, creating your character and, and thinking about how they relate to the other members of your group in a heart and, or um, uh, spire. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. thinking about, uh, for example, the old um, Cyberpunk 2020, where you had the, I want to say it's the lifeline mechanic or something like that, where you just rolled on a table and it gave you life events that your character went through. And by picking yeah. them, you then had to uh, sort of improvise a little idea of how your character grew up to that. And they, every every choice that you pick, every every role that you make will give you some little bonus, sometimes a little, little defect. And all of those culminate in a character that's going to be a lot more interesting than you could have made if you just uh, picked a few stats. And... Uh, probably a character that uh, you wouldn't have made uh, without it. And I think that those are always fun and it's great to have um, a board game that's just about that. Well, more the, more the stat aspect, but I think it's very fun. Well, it does do a little bit of like character building as well because you will get a background. For example, um, this is actually a promo card from Cartographer, but you could be a cartographer. And it's like you have a natural gift for understanding your surroundings from a bird's eye view. Your desire to record the unexplored wilds of Nalos drives you to adventure. So that could give you, oh, I'm going to play a character who they're a barbarian cartographer. Like, Ooh, okay. That's, yeah. Interesting. You know, <laughs> uh, and it has, yeah, it has a whole bunch of different like classes uh, sometimes you kind of have to um wedge things a bit because i don't think most uh, role-playing games have an outrider as a class but that's certainly a ranger type i mean uh, characterization here is everything i, I mean if you just have uh, drafting dice for a point salad you had like sagrada or something like that um the characterization about role player is everything. That, that's really, really, uh, I repeat myself, but it's smart. It's so smart, it's cool. It's a very nice idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're also like building your starting equipment. Uh, you get um, bonuses for collecting sets of the same items. You've got limits to like how many weapons you can have. Like you've only got one of each hand, unless I think the barbarian class, which I keep mentioning, may break that rule and be allowed to hold multiple weapons or extra weapons um let's, let's have a look let's see if it is the case Inturian 
Night Warrior like, fighting. Like, uh, yeah, ro- Barbarian may equip up to four hands worth of weapon cards. <laughs> like Rorono Azzoro from One Piece. <laughs> I, I I see it more as like this, like like Conan, but coming in with like double double battle-handed axes, you know, one in each, or for some inexplicable reason, four swords, two in each hand. <laughs> That's uh, that double double edged sword. Yeah. And um, the, some of the set collecting stuff is neat because it has this a section where uh, the gear is coloured, and if it matches your class colour, it's better for you. So there is this situations where you're playing with other people and you're eyeing up and you're going, well, this cleric is white, this cleric at vestments, do I care about that? But you really care about that. And you pick the dice I want, but I'm going before you in the market order, so I can get a couple of points here and deny you like ten. So there's that that passive aggressive drafting like back and forth that you can have where you just yeah, you take my dice and I'm gonna take your gear. Uh, and I like the dynamic of you you're constantly compromising if do I take the best dice but go late in the market or do I take a bad dice because I don't care you can even have traits that the reward you've have in terrible stats uh, which is fun like you just I, I can't remember exactly the name of it but there's one that rewards you for having like stats under five I believe which is quite hard to do traditionally but in this game very possible so yeah it's it's a wonderful exploration um it's always nice to draw draw exciting colored dice from a bag um and there's a whole bunch of extra varied dice that come in the expansions as well my downside on this one you kind of have to buy an expansion the core game by itself doesn't really have enough of a bite without the monsters the minions and the final bosses so it's you don't need both of the expansions um and i think of the two uh fiends and familiars is the one i like a bit more because it gives you the hybrid dice and it gives you a familiar who can hold a few extra dice and they have some special rules and and bonuses there as well so that kind of expands the game a bit more um but they're they're, they're both designed to fit together um and complement each other so you can get the large box that has everything in it but I haven't seen that available for a long time. So that's role player. But alternatively, if you want something more narratively based, we got here, this, you can fit so many stories into this little baby. Um, This is Call to Adventure from Brotherwise Games. And this is a rune casting card drawing version. And it's less about building the character and more about having the adventure along the way. At the start of the game, you will draw two origins, two destinies, and two, I think, objectives or something. But they're basically bronze, silver, and gold. And you'll pick which one you want from each category. The destiny tells you what you're trying to get your big points for. Uh, The first one, your origin, gives you like your um, traits, which are the runes you get to cast. And then the middle one gives you like a special extra bonus. And these traits are very standard, generic, fantasy, strength, charisma, wisdom, intelligence, constitution. I was going to say uniqueness, northern talent, but that was in a former episode. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Charisma, uniqueness, nerve, talent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're we're watching um, the, the latest UK one right now. 
Yeah, I, I'm supposed to say I'm not because it would be pirated, but actually I'm not because I'm waiting to see, to have a few more episodes stores. And anyway. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to talk about it because everybody knows it's no fun if people spoil stuff for you in that show. Because getting angry at the stupid stuff that the judges decide is the best part. Um, yeah, so. Call to Adventure. <laughs> let's get back to it. Uh, is is about crafting your hero along the way. You'll do three acts in which you'll draft a card each time and either you're going to pick a trait which just as long as you meet the requisites or pay the payment it'll slot into your character and they tend to give you more dice, uh, more runes, oh, I apologize, more runes. Then you or you can also do a challenge which you'll have to achieve a certain number on the runes and this is where the, the, it comes into its own because I haven't played many games where you cast runes instead of rolling dice. Uh, and effectively, you've got three core runes. Um, they all score one point on one side. Two of them score nothing on the back. And the third one lets you draw like a hero or anti-hero card uh, as like a compensation for rolling nothing. And so you run in, you'll try and do a challenge. You'll get your three core runes. You'll take whatever relevant trait runes you have that match. Um, say it's a charisma and... Um, uh, intelligence. You might have two charisma, one intelligence. So you get to have two charisma runes, one intelligence rune, and they're really nice because they'll score two points if you manage to hit their correct symbol. So um, for the for the listener, uh, runes are like little tiles, right? Yeah, yeah. They're they're basically well, they're like um, Scandinavian runes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. They're double sided and have symbols on them. And you'll scoop up all the ones you've got. You'll give them a shake, which is quite satisfying. And you'll throw them down. And they're like a bunch of coins. It's another way to think of it. Only these are very nicely made. Um, I want to say Bakelite. They're like, they feel really nice. And it comes in this wonderful little tray. That's a nice Which holds sound. them all. Yeah. The, 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 this is the best part. It's so satisfying. Um, and, and like uh, for me, throwing dice, I, I like to throw dice through a dice tower. Um, but runes, actually casting runes feels, it's such a nice tactile experience. We have a little um, dice tray that we just toss them into and uh, and see what comes out. The whole thing, all of it is gorgeous. Like they've got this lovely inlay, they've made room for sleeved cards in every single well. It's all locked in place. The experience tokens are plastic rubies. Yeah, the, the game looks very satisfying to uh, handle. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a very tactile experience. Um, yeah, so you'll you'll go through your three acts of uh, first act. Once you've completed and got three cards from the first act, then you'll move on to the second act, where there'll be adversaries cropping up who are far more difficult to defeat. Um, typically, if you fail a challenge, you get a bit of XP and the challenge goes away, but adver adversaries stay out there until they're defeated or you give up and face other things and move on. Um, the game keeps you moving forward. It keeps rewarding you. It's it's great for that. Uh, at the end of the three acts, you everyone reveals their destiny and you like total up. I will say, found that a bit frustrating. The scoring sheet has one layout for scoring, and the rule book tells you a different process to follow, um, which resulted in a lot of times with us constantly getting lost on our scoring. Wow, that that's like the lonely tree. <laughs> yeah, um, you will score for uh, <clears throat> white diamonds, which are like I th the the good, like 
hero points. I forget the name. Uh, black diamonds, which are infamy points if you've been an anti-hero. Um, then you'll score for experience. Any which you didn't spend during the game. Usually you spend experience either to get more traits or to scrub away um, encounters you don't want to have. Uh, and then hero cards you've played, anti-hero cards you've played. And story icons. Um, story icons are like on printed on the cards. They don't do anything, but at the end of the game, if you get sets of them, they're worth points. Or they might relate to your destiny. And the last thing that kind of clicks in is there's this track, which you move up and down depending on what you do. And if you're uh, up in the sun section, you're a, you're a hero and you'll get points for that. But you can only play hero cards, which are like they help you uh, sometimes. Um, or they might not be beneficial for a given thing, but they, you play them, they're worth points at the end of the game, they help you. If you're in the negative section, you're an anti-hero, and you might be able to play either card, or you can only play anti-hero cards, um, you get down in the bottom section by picking up corruption. And you can get corruption just by choice, uh, simply by buying corruption runes and tossing them into a check. They give you a chance of giving you a bonus, or a chance of like making it harder for you to succeed and corrupting you which moves you down this chart if you get too corrupted you're going to lose points because this is meant to be a story about anti-heroes not villains and you've kind of gone over the line mate you know sort it out um it's it, it adds an interesting wrinkle it's it's typically your it's your choice you might have a character who wants to toe the line about being really evil the last game we played um, my partner was a beggar who was secretly royalty who trained as a spy and then slaughtered her own family and went out on an adventure of recruiting a giant criminal network and meanwhile my character found a mentor went to studiously study sat on top of a mountaintop and meditated and did nothing else <laughs> and that was that was all i achieved literally was like studious harmonious enlightened blessed and I was like, oh, I'm doing all right. And then at the end of the game, I went and picked up a load of infamy points by fighting an adversary because I was not paying attention. And for me, because I was meant to be a good person with no infamy, that was negative points against me. And I really lost quite hard. <laughs> it's just like right at the end, my character just slips from being this good, pure person by killing a priest, basically. And I was like, oops. So, yeah. Now, the fun thing about the Call to Adventure is you've got two different base games. You can buy the Call to Adventure generic base game, or if you're a fan of Brandon Sanderson, and who isn't, you can buy the Stormlight Archive version, which is an entirely separate core game, uh, and based all around uh, Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive series. Now, also, you can get an expansion for the original game, which is the name of the wind? Ooh. Which, if you're, boo, if you're a big fan of Patrick Rofus's not finishing series, that is probably never going to finish at this rate. But that adds in as an expansion to the main game and changes a few bits and gives you some nice rewards. If you fail at a challenge, you can do some naming of, um, I think it's naming of the wind or naming of iron or naming of fire. Yeah. So it, it adds a little bit more to do if you're doing badly, but uh, also changes the texture of the core game to make it more like um, the world of the name of the wind, which is nice. I've played with it. It's it's OK. It's it's all right. It doesn't feel complete for some reason. <laughs> oh! 
<laughs> and I, I'm being a little facetious, but it's true because it's based on only two out of three books, unlike the Stormlight Archive that feels very complete. Um, well, I, I would say that Brandon Sanderson's specialty is, is finishing stuff. Absolutely, he's prolific. Even for others. Anyway, the Stormlight <laughs> Archive is... Um, it, it, there's another benefit to it, which is they've added this cooperative solo experience to the game. And we've tried it, and it, it works well as a solo game in core Call to Adventure, but it doesn't work well as a cooperative game. And the reason is, is you draw an adversary, and they have certain traits that you have to achieve to be able to fight them, which means everybody's fighting against each other, even though it's cooperative, to try and get these traits. Like if you're fighting the Dark Cultist, you need either wisdom or you need a, um, a strength and preferably you have a bit of both. But there's only so many times you're going to get these, and other people are, uh, might be forced to pick up intelligence or wisdom, and they're not very helpful. I don't like these semi-cooperative things. It's not meant to be semi-co-op, though. It's meant to be fully co-op, but it, it ends up... Yeah, yeah, it, I'm, that's why I'm saying it doesn't work, because the, en the enemy at the end... It works as a solo game, because you're given an adversary and you can focus, I'm going to try and make sure I'm the best to beat this particular adversary. And it's exciting. However, in Call to Adventure, the Stormlight Archive, the enemy at the end uh, just requires you to use two traits. Um, so you're more open to build what you need to build along the way. Uh, I haven't had a chance to play it as much as I want to, uh, but I immediately like saw that and I was like, oh, that's, that's much better. Because we had a terrible time playing co-op in the uh, core game. Um, but yeah, it is... Uh, yeah, to face Odium, you choose two abilities and cast all your runes of that type. And he also has like some quests, you adversary quests. So if you want the co-op experience, get the Brandon Sanderson one. If you're environmentally conscientious, get the Brandon Sanderson one because the gems are cardboard, not plastic, in the Brandon Sanderson one. The runes are still as lovely as ever. You can still hear the exciting noise. Very exciting, uh, little Yeah, yeah. So that's what it boils down to: is if if you want the crafted story and the card dra drafting experience, I, I would say Call to Adventure um, might be the one you want to go for. I think Role Player is a tighter, more crunchy experience. Uh, I think that the Stormlight Archive is the best of the co-op experiences. Um, but Role Player, it, Role Player doesn't really do co-op as well. Um, because you're kind of just playing a solo game, but with more people and more characters, and it feels a bit wishy-washy. So that's that's it. That's my that's my TED talk on on these two games, <laughs> which is actually four games kind of stuffed together. Uh, and yeah, so role player if you want crunchy and you like dice, but rune casting is different. And for that, Call to Adventure really should capture imagination. And then you just need to decide, do I like Patrick Rofus? Then I should get the original Call to Adventure. Am I annoyed with Patrick Rofus and I want somebody who can actually finish stuff? Then maybe I should talk to uh, the second Robert Jordan. Sorry, <laughs> um, I'm waiting for the TV show, The Wheel of Time. I am as well. I cannot wait for all that knuckling of beards and wrinkling of brows and straightening of skirts. Um, which and is... bread tugging. Yes, tugging the <laughs> braids. <laughs> that, Robert Jordan really had some idioms he went back to over and over, bless him. But I, 
Oh, I love Matt and Perrin. They're my favourite characters in that series. They're not mine. But that's well, not a problem. We're not here to talk about books because I gotta say I'm not. I'm not a big fan of Wheel of Time in the end of it. I got fed up and stopped watching. I am going to try the TV series because I hope I hope now they can present the more boring parts in a better fashion. But I got tired with it spinning its wheels on stuff around book 9 or 10 for me. Ha. Huh. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. I got to book 3, so can't really comment. I, I, I'm going to say if you stopped at book 3, it's understandable because book 3 really annoyed me and i almost yeah <laughs> yeah i stopped there and i think the dragon reborn if i yes uh, uh, like kind of that because it's italian so drago rinato yeah the dragon reborn yeah. Le dragon yeah. Reincarné. <laughs> yeah fancy that, that, that stuff yeah yeah um right uh, so we shan't get into talking about that. Let, let's all agree that Wheel of Time is way better than the Sword of Truth series, though. If you've not read that, just agree with me. I will yeah, just agree no. with you. Can agree. Can agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I could talk about it at some time in the future, but I don't think we'll ever play a board game based on Sword of Truth. But if you ever want to be aggravated and frustrated and annoyed with a writer who likes to tear the main characters apart, when the whole first book was about how they managed to overcome their difficulties and get together, uh, in other words, do the same thing over and over, and also support Anne Rand, uh, you know, yeah, uh, that yeah, kind yeah. of philosophy, mm, then uh, that's, uh, that's a series I, I was very happy to put down after a while. Not pick up. And to get back to the board games yes. uh, part, and Brandon Sanderson, uh, he, I, I, before we decided to talk about uh, Call to Adventure, I did not know that he had a part in that. And I'm always surprised in, first, how much writing he manages to do, which is one thing, uh, but uh, also how much involvement in non-writing things uh, he can do, because there is a Reconners uh, board game as well. Uh, I saw it on Kickstarter, I think it was two or three years ago, maybe. Um, and he was involved in that as well. And he, I don't know how he can manage to do that. I don't know how much time he sleeps per day, and I don't want to ask. Yeah, I think in the case of this, it's um, it's it based on his works, and you know he's like looked at it and said, "I approve of this," and has put be willing to put his name on it, the same as Patrick Rofus. That yeah, I, I think he had a, as... a slightly bigger involvement than that. But yeah, not not a lot, but uh, also like every time he travels, he goes to the bookshops uh, in the airports and steals signs every book of him that he can find. <laughs> And then he goes on his Facebook page and says, "Oh, that uh, that airport has uh, books signed from me here, etc." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's um he's a treasure, uh, absolutely a treasure, for the uh, for, uh you know exactly how you'd want a, a writer to be. Yeah. As opposed to what writers typically are, which is cranky and isolationists. Yeah, I remember at some time he was in France and it was Sunday and he was asking, "Oh, I'm in Paris. Which church should I go to?" Uh, which one did he, which one did people recommend? I do not remember because it was two or more years ago. But yeah, he he has a lot of involvement with the community as well, and I think that you can see that uh, with all the extra work that he he does around uh, books. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, 
yeah, I, th- I think he's a, definitely a treasure. Um, mm. And maybe that's another reason to go for the Stormlight Archive version, so you can support Brandon Sanderson, who almost certainly gets some kind of cut from every purchase, given that his name's on there. Oh, I for don't sure. Know exactly what. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that is uh, character creation games, and you know, if uh, if you do happen to know of any others i would be really thrilled to hear about them because i think it's an interesting genre i think it's a new genre and there's definitely room for innovation and also if anyone knows of any other games that use rune casting that are good hit me up because <laughs> i am i'm up for hearing about those because it does just feel really nice to to throw them and they feel less frustrating than dice that brings us to what we've got time for. Uh, so with uh, with that, it is all we have time for in this episode. And thank you for listening to The Last Standee. Uh, you can catch us over at www.patreon.com forward slash The Last Standee or follow us as The Last Standee on Twitter or subscribe on your preferred podcast app. And you can also catch Alexis over at, would you like to once again plug your podcast? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, uh, The Charity Committee. Uh, it's on Spotify and wherever you listen to your podcast. And it's goodbye from Alexis. Goodbye from Belgium. Alessio. Bye-bye. Audrey. Bye-bye. And if you want to see some Marvel Cruises Protocol minis painted, you can catch me on Instagram at Millennia with double L and just one N underscore and underscore minis, I think. <laughs> there we are. Okay, Uh, and it's goodbye from myself. And remember that the second E in Stand E is for endings.